Welcome to a new episode of What Exactly Am I Watching Here, a proud member of the Overthink Podcast Network. I'm your host for now, Jason Helms, and I sound like this. With me is my doppelganger, Dominic Lang. Say hi, Dom. Hi, Jason. I sound like this. <laughs> Before we begin, a quick introduction to the show. What Exactly Am I Watching Here is a podcast that features an expert and a novice watching one of the great shows of television history. The stars turn and a time presents itself. Something is missing, and I think it's you, dear listener. For now, our show is the cult favorite, Twin Peaks. Uh, we were going to be talking about Twin Peaks The Return, uh, episode two today. So uh, if you're new to the show, uh, if you're new to Twin Peaks, go back and uh, catch up on about 30 episodes or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll we'll see in a few moments. Just uh, pause the podcast <laughs> and uh, yep. catch back up. Yep. Um, all right. Keep your eyes on the giant glass box because my log has a message for you. Dom, where did we leave off? So we left off with end of part one. We see Agent Cooper in the waiting room of the lodges, sort of like the room between the lodges, perhaps. Yep. Uh, Sometimes called the waiting room, sometimes called the red room. Uh, It's the room with the chevron floor and lots of red curtains. So we see him there. Uh, He's received a message from the giant or from question mark. We don't know his name. <laughs> uh, there are a, a lot of new characters, yep. a lot of new uh, settings. We have been to New York. We have been to the Dakotas. And we've been to Twin Peaks. Uh, Hawk is investigating Agent Cooper's files because of a message received by the log lady. And... I think that's that's about it. So we're kind of we are very much all over the place. Yep. And uh, for a show that I think in episode two, and certainly by the time we get to episode three, is very slow. Really feels yeah. like it drags. Uh, perhaps mm-hmm. productively, at the very least, intentionally. A lot is happening in each episode. So so let's uh, jump into some of this. Uh, let's start yeah. with Bill and Phyllis. Yeah. So Bill is Bill and Phyllis are the two of the new characters. And uh, there's been a murder in the Dakotas, and Bill Hastings is uh, arrested for that murder, uh, or in, I guess, on suspicion of that murder. And uh, he confesses to his wife that he had a dream about being in the apartment of the murdered woman. And so he says, you know, like, I wasn't there but I had a dream that I was there and uh, the murdered woman, her name is Ruth Davenport. And so uh, Phyllis Bill's wife knows about an affair. Apparently there's been an affair or on an ongoing affair between Bill and Ruth. And then Bill spits back to Phyllis that he knows about an affair between Phyllis and their lawyer, George. Uh, and so for me, this like, this was quintessential t- Twin Peaks yeah. of people hiding something beneath a veneer. Yeah. Uh, multiple affairs, soap opera-ish to an extent, sure, uh, but very much a a surface exterior. Of like, everything's great. Everything's wonderful. And just beneath that, something horrific and and something, lots of betrayal going on. Yeah, and it's uh I mean those that was the ingredients of the original Twin Peaks was soap opera, primetime, 
and uh, David Lynch weirdness, right? Yeah. And and the quirk that comes from that, and and I think that's really been updated in the return, um, mm-hmm. but but with maybe some additions. One of them it being um, feels much more like a police procedural, uh, a little especially bit, yeah. some of the stuff surrounding Bill and Phyllis. So a few new ingredients, uh, perhaps, to the stew. Uh, no one no one cries better than Matthew Lillard. Uh, I yeah, love he he falls I, apart. There. I was going to say that I love the way he cries. I really do. Uh, so far, I got to be honest. So far, Matthew Lillard is my my favorite character in Twin Peaks. He is strong. He is real strong. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really like that Matthew Lillard. Yeah. Uh, so so this is odd. Uh, Bill tells Phyllis uh, that he had a dream about yeah. being in Ruth Davenport's house, mm-hmm. uh, which is a really really weird excuse because it would not explain <laughs> away his fingerprints. Yes, and. The fact that then she says, I know about the affair. Is it like, wait, is, was that his way of covering for the affair? Because mm. um, it seems like it would have just been easier to say, yeah, I was having an affair with her. That's why my fingerprints are everywhere. And that's, that's easy coverage and doesn't put him there the night before necessarily. Yeah. Uh, whereas the dream feels like it kind of does. Uh, so I guess a question would be is maybe he's telling the truth about it there being a dream. Yeah. Yeah. Normally, well, I guess normally. Yeah, you either you're confessing to the affair, but you also know that your wife's having an affair. Uh, and so either way, Bill, I don't know, Bill seems very unnerved yeah. by the situation he's in. And I think the fact that he had a dream about this woman and then the next day she winds up dead uh her body missing, her head's in the bed, but yep. the rest of herself is missing. Yep. I, I think that that's what terrifies him. And just the like unaccountability of it or not being able to like reconcile what was happening that night. Yeah. And as show watchers, I don't think we think that Bill did it in the sense that uh, maybe he could have murdered her, but he did not replace her body with a man's body. Mm. Um, that, that feels like, like some spooky stuff is going on, or if he did, it was Bob. Yeah. You know, they're, that, they're, that was my first thought, honestly, like I had a dream. I did it. And like, that sounds like Bob or yeah. that, that sounds like something akin to Bob. Yeah. Uh, basically though, it, it doesn't feel like an, a simple murder mystery no. where he, he needs an excuse or like an excuse is going to get him out of this. This is, this is going to unwind quickly. Yeah. Um, so Phyllis returns home from the, the police station and she finds Evil Coop in the corner of the room. Yep. Well, okay, so this interaction kind of like tweaked me a bit because Coop tells her that obviously they know each other from somewhere. I think they know each other from somewhere. I and agree. he says you you acted exactly like like human nature. Yes. Like and then he kills her. Yep. <laughs> and I don't know if like if it was the lighting that was playing tricks on me, but it that close up of Phyllis's body, it didn't look like it was just normal like guts or mm-hmm. normal blood. I don't know, like it, but it looked like purple, blue, like jewel tones. Yeah. Did you see that or I, I didn't notice that, but uh okay. I don't think you're wrong. I think uh the gore in this show is treated uh differently, and I think sometimes it means something. Uh, I yeah. guess is all I'll say at this point. Um, okay. I, I, I don't recall that, but yeah, uh, that it sounds just, about right. I mean, if you think of the way that um, 
the two people, um, I can't remember their names right now, but in New York watching the glass box that they were killed, yeah. uh, it, it certainly doesn't look realistic. It's definitely staged artfully. Mm-hmm. It, it, it grew some art, but if you've ever seen, I, I do have David Lynch's uh, coffee table book. Oh, which, boy. <laughs> which includes dead bugs uh, and dead fish. Uh, it's, it's kind of amazing. So uh, it's, it's definitely art uh, is, is what yeah. we're seeing in that gruesome scene. Okay. Uh, for for Lynch, uh, but but let's talk of more pleasant things. Uh, what of creamed corn in diners? Yes. So before uh, Doppelkoop kills Phyllis, he delights in some creamed corn in a diner, uh, meeting up with Daria and I'm forgetting the other person's name. There, there's too many characters. It's not your fault. It's it's it's, it's not your fault. Don't tell me that. It's um, not your fault. Damn it. Not you too. Um, and so there's a little bit like a creamed corn Easter egg. Yeah. If, and that sounds disgusting by yeah. the way, but <laughs> <laughs> creamed corn Easter egg. Mm. Yuck. Uh, but there is a little, there's a little pain and sorrow right there in that diner. Garmin Bosia. Later on, evil coop mentions, uh, or references, he references Major Briggs while he's having a conversation with whom he believes to be Philip Jeffries. Mm-hmm. So this is this is where we go. We're going back to Fire Walk with Me and the importance of having watched the the fan cut and yep. all the missing pieces mixed back in. Yeah, and um, he seems confused. Is this Philip Jeffries? I think he asks, or uh, you know, he's not sure. And yeah, there's some distortion in the voice, but also we all know as uh, viewers that David Bowie is dead yeah. and that he did not reprise his role. Uh, yeah. Although there was some speculation about that at the time, uh, you know, would mm-hmm. he or, or would he not uh, at what point yeah. was it filmed and all that. But I, w- I wouldn't put it past David Lynch to recast roles. Right, right. But I, I think that that is this Philip Jeffries might be a reference to, it can still be Philip Jeffries, but it's definitely not David Bowie. Okay. Yeah. Because you have, I mean, in between season two of Twin Peaks and you have then the return, there's the the film Lost Highway. Yep. Is that it? Where there's a full-on like actor change midway through for one character and nobody references the change. Well, yeah, and in um, Eraserhead, uh, there is a scene in which... Um, the the actor is Pete. Uh, I can't remember his name. Yeah, opens the door and when he walks through the other side of the door, I think it's five years later in real life uh, because David Lynch didn't have funding. It's maybe even more. But wow. it was, uh, yeah, there's there's not the first time he's done something like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. and and that is off putting. Uh, I think he he can lean into that in some ways. Um, all right, so what we get from that uh, is uh, that Doppelkoop, Evil Coop. He's supposed to go back to the Black Lodge, and he says, I'm not going to go. Yeah. I'm not going back. And so this is this feels like it's vintage, or it feels like vintage Twin Peaks in the sense that we're using terminology that people who've seen the show are super accustomed to. Yeah. So we're talking about Major Briggs. We're talking about the Black Lodge. And so this feels like, okay, like, I expect... I expected things to like pick up momentum wise after this. Yep. And I don't how'd that go? <laughs> not not well, not great. <laughs> it, it kind of just stayed the same slow I 
Dog I'm get set to, for episode three. Oh boy. I'm trying not to say it feels it doesn't feel meandering. Right. But it it just feels strange. Like yeah. I I'm just continually I every scene I think, okay, this is where we pivot, and now things start to coalesce. Now things just keep keep spreading out. Things just keep going. There, there's a lot that's off-putting about the original Twin Peaks, but it's very rare that the pacing itself is off-putting. There's a few scenes, uh, but you come to enjoy them. Uh, the quirkiness of Ben and Jerry and their their dance scenes. Yeah. Uh, things like that, where it's like, okay, but something is happening, and I kind of enjoy what's happening, and I'm just long for the ride. Yeah. In The Return, the, the pacing is, I think, deliberately off-putting, and uh, usually in really uncomfortable moments or where you want to find out something, and, and Twin Peaks will not tell you. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a a purpose behind like that off-puttingness? I guess like why would you do that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I think it's one for Lynch in general because his stuff is so off-putting. It's so uncanny. Mm-hmm. And it, often it's troubling in ways that you can't put your finger on. Yeah. And I it is, in some sense, just his brand and his mark that he puts on things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like Hitchcock walking through the back of a shot. It's, you know, Hitchcock. what Hitchcock did with suspense, you know, Lynch does with the uncanny and, the, and off-putting and awkwardness and just that disturbing vibe. Uh, yeah, this is, I think The Return really is a machine for generating unpleasantness uh, in mm. some ways. It's not a, a pleasant watching <laughs> ex- experience. Uh, but I can't put it down. Um, mm. It's it's that thing that you smell, and and for whatever reason, you go. Let me smell that one more time. Why why would I? I know that it smells bad. I just smelled it, but I'm going to lean in one second more and just go. Yep, yep, still yep. bad. Yep, David Lynch. Let me smell that one more time. Let me smell that one more time. Yes, um, please. Yeah, is uh, that so, rotten trash. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that is trash. Yeah, that is trash. So Cooper has. I wanted to, to get back into the the waiting room because it feels like there's I, more things happening in a place that I don't know where exactly that is. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, he he sees Laura Palmer. We yeah. see Laura Palmer. We meet. We see Laura Palmer again. Laura Palmer, who claims to be both alive and dead. Yep. She tells him that you can go out now. Yeah. So it, it feels feels like there's some sort of like. Whatever was happening, whatever did keep him here, yep, is ending and can go. Uh, and then she is pulled up by by some oh, that's terrifying. That yeah, the, by some horrific like jump cut, shudder, scream, roar, monster like, chunk, and she's gone. Yep, and the, something's off in the in. Whatever that sphere of existence is, really, so, you you yeah. find it, you, you think it might be a little off. Okay, interesting. I think, I yeah, think something's. Take. I think <laughs> gasp. Something's <laughs> off in there. Well, no, in in the sense that Mike himself says it. Something is wrong. Yes. The arm, by the way. In the meantime, <laughs> holy smokes! Like when he when, okay. So Cooper, we're used to the arm being. A dwarf who talks backwards and has really great dance moves. Right. That's fine. That's sure. fine. Uh, we turn the corner, and now the arm is an electric tree with yep. a 
spongy, fleshy, or looks like an old like blood orange yeah. that is sparking but and al- it's but on also top an of organ of some kind. Yes, yes, it's like a heart and an orange combined, and it's moving and speaking, and and that's the arm now. And there's there's some messages that the arm gives, but most importantly, the arm has a doppelganger also. Yes. Yes. Troubling. Yes. And a very, a very pissed off doppelganger by the, by the looks of it, uh, because it creates, it, it drops Cooper into non-existent or whatever, like whatever hellscape. So he's dropped into this, what feels very similar to how Laura Palmer is taken. And then he is deposited into that glass box in New York. I feel like I'm playing a game of Mad Libs right now. Yes, I'm trying. I'm, I'm describing Twin Peaks, and it feels like I'm playing Mad Libs. Just no. like, yeah. And then there's a glass box. Yep. And like, well, and, and I think that's actually a really apt comparison because you are meant to fill in the blanks uh, to a, a, a great degree in mm-hmm. uh, in this one. Yeah. So okay, go on to. Please, please finish your Mad Libs. Uh, I, I don't want to fill in too much for you. Yeah, so he gets dropped into the glass box in New York, but then there's this like shrinking, expanding, shrinking, expanding thing, and he vanishes just before our latte-loving couple comes back and is eviscerated oh. by a pissed-off ghost who breaks the glass. So yep. Cooper was there... But they don't see him. I would assume that if the if the cameras are recording, that they would catch something yeah. like that. Like, wouldn't they? That's a that's a solid question. Uh, we'll see if anybody ever finds that footage. I would hope. So, and, um, yeah. Let, let's talk briefly about the replacement of the arm. And again, yeah. uh, we've got the theme of doppelgangers, um, yes, which should not be surprising in a show called Twin Peaks. And we've got the arm has a doppelganger, but the arm also is a doppelganger in that uh, I, th- I think it says, this is what I, l- I look like now. I'm the arm and this is how I sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, or mm-hmm. I'm the arm and I sound like this. Which it's great that, again, the weirdness of, of David Lynch, the, the random stuff he throws into the original, like I will see you in 25 years, having <sighs> the man from another place say, I'm the arm and I sound like this. Oh, whoa, 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 whatever that is. Yeah. It's, it sets him up perfectly to be replaced. Uh, so... All of those give him future things to riff off of and, yeah. and play with. So uh, I think we alluded to this earlier, but the reason that Michael J. Anderson, who played the man from another place, a.k.a. the arm, is, was replaced is that he got super racist. Um, big Trump supporter. Really? Big anti-political correctness and uh, really, really hated uh, David Lynch and spread some rumors about him. Um, I'm not sure what the rumors are. I haven't looked into them too much. Uh, but evidently Lynch's daughter at one point, uh, said, uh, I, I hope he receives the help and peace he needs. So th- this was a real ugly falling out. Uh, and he had acted in multiple Lynch projects. Wow. And so I, it's got to feel like a real middle finger to replace him with a, a tree with a, a <laughs> really troubling, disturbing organ on top of it. Yeah. Oof. That's unfortunate. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it it just feels like it, it feels like it's an artistic leap of just like Lynch trusting his impulse and 
It feels like anybody, if anybody else were to do that, it would feel lazy. Yeah. I was just like, okay, so what does the arm look like? It, uh, it's like a tree. And on top of this tree, there's this thing. And, and, and I'm not sure why. I think in a strange way, I do appreciate. And I think I said this at the beginning of watching Twin Peaks initially, like, I appreciate the faith he puts in the viewer mm-hmm. of it. It really does feel like we're back to shining a projector through this guy's head and for better or for worse, these are like, this is what we're seeing. And, and so we're seeing doppelgangers. We're seeing a, an interaction between different planes of existence. Uh, we're seeing darkness and, things hiding beneath the surface and they're all kind of swirling together. Yeah. Again, like it is anti-plot still has some sort of like still takes place in a, you know, like environment. This is just as so many environments and so much Twin Peaks feels less like a place now and more like a spirit. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, Yeah. And the way that the two coincide in some mm. sense. Yeah. In in terms of, you know, where, where does Lynch know if he's going with this and, and all that kind of stuff? Um, mm-hmm. This is, we talked about Lynch and we've referenced the fact that he's an absurdist director before and yeah. his roots go into, you know, uh, Dadaism and all that stuff. And the, and the, I think the real question behind all of that is how do we stop telling the same story uh, yeah. over and over and over? How do we, how do we find a way to tell new stories and think in new ways and what the Dadaists went to with that is using randomness to uh, to increase their chances, pulling words directly uh, from the dictionary, just opening to a random page, pointing and saying, okay, that's where we go. That's where the term Dada comes from, mm. uh, is is that they picked it out of a, a dictionary at random, uh, you know, using cut-up poetry, things like that, finding new yeah. constraints. It continues on with Ulipo, um, which is a uh, 1950s through 70s uh, project, I believe of these writing games. Uh, I, in my video game class, I used to actually teach this, uh, but hmm. you'll, you'll know um, probably the exquisite corpse practice, uh, which is where uh, it can be done with drawing or writing. Okay. Uh, with, with drawing, uh, you draw uh, something on a folded up piece of paper, and then you fold it in a certain way so that only the lines that uh, kind of get got to the edge fold over and then somebody continues those lines and, and draws a little bit more. And then you fold again and you're left with, you know, this unfolded thing mm. that has, you know, a, a donkey's head. And in the middle, there's just abstract shapes and it, but it all connects and flows in these weird ways that it's, it is one piece. Wow. That, that's really interesting. And they did that with poetry as well, you know, write, write four lines and then uh, only show me the fourth and then I'll write four lines and I'll only show the next person the fourth. Um, I do these practices in class. It's really, really fun to wow. see what students create because they tell the most interesting stories that way. Yeah. What do you, like, what's the end feeling? Because it feels like it's also like trying to, to do away with the like result idea of like, we are going to make X thing to perform, <clears throat> excuse me, to perform Y function, you know, like, I'm not, you know, it, like doing away with, I'm going to make this particular element to perform this particular thing. It more kind of feels like you're going to have a feeling and I'm going to catch the last 20% of it. And then I'm going to have an right. experience and then someone else is going to catch the last 20%. And so 
that like that sharing yes creates a different feeling than it were to like hey we're going to create something together like let's all do this at the same time yes um it it does away with uh revision um mm. that kind of constraint on you to fix something and make it look right uh in some ways and and it, it guarantees that it will look wrong um yeah. and so it it kind of breaks you of that instinct uh, that really is that instinct to fit it into kind of recognizable patterns um, and things like that. Yeah. Uh, if you remember back to episode two of the original se- series, um, mm. Zen or the skill to catch a killer. Yeah. Uh, it's the exact same process, right? Tibet, uh, he's drawn it on a, <laughs> on a chalkboard. Mm-hmm. He's going to throw rocks at, at a glass jar. 60 feet, six inches away. 60 feet, six inches. That's exactly right. And so there are rules to it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the specific rules don't necessarily matter as much as that there have to be rules that will prevent you from going with uh, what we might call your gut, but is actually just what typically happens, right? Yeah. Uh, there's a murder case, and uh, the cop investigating it goes, the husband did it, before looking at any details. Uh, and more often than not, uh, she or he is right. Mm-hmm. But that you, you need to be open to new ideas, or you're never going to solve the tough cases. And that's that's where the FBI comes in. That's where uh, Dale Cooper comes in, is solving the tough cases, solving the, solving the cases where the husband may not have done it. Um, yeah. And that's what David Lynch wants to do is you can go to McKee's uh, book story, right, if you want to write a pilot, uh, if you want to have success, if you want it to be popular. That's great ways to do it. But if you want to break television, if your goal is really to create something new, something people haven't seen before, realizing there's got to be an audience out there. That, that wants something new, yeah. then then you're going to have to find new rules for yourself. And I think those new rules are what result in the new look of the arm uh, and mm-hmm. things like this. And again, it does serve him right. I, I, I think, you know, I'll see you tw- in 25 years. You know, we've we got to look back to that as the ultimate moment of, yeah. wow, how did that happen? How did that happen is he throws everything at the wall. Yeah. There's so much randomness in there. Could there have been another moment that he could have pulled on? Yeah, sure. He, he would have found some other reason to replace the arm. Uh, or some other means of doing it, but uh, he used the ones that he had created that that didn't make any sense at the time. That only makes sense in retrospect, and that he in no way intended. Yeah, he's very he's faithful to his randomness. Yeah, yeah, and it and it pays him back. Oh, totally, totally, and yeah, in a way of like, and I don't know if Lynch is ever this intentional, but like by sharing, I think it's a it's an oddly it's an odd kind of generosity, but there is a generousness generosity to sharing the abstraction and sharing that surreal, that absurdism, because like maybe he is the only, maybe he's like one of the few artists that can do this, but he's not the only person who thinks nonlinear or who has absurd thoughts or whose dreams become dark and twisted one moment and then bright and cheery and, jazz song the next yes like there is that chaos within all of us exactly within every single one of us and he wants us to find it and this show is about it's about you going out and creating art right how many shows would we not have if there was no twin peaks you know we wouldn't have lost we wouldn't have the leftovers we wouldn't have half the shows that we want to talk about on here without twin peaks or they would have looked drastically different yeah um and it's amazing to me that uh, this absurdist stuff, it, it, we want so badly to find the meaning, to, to figure mm. out the metaphors, uh, especially think of the arm, right? This weird tree with a 
mass on the top of it. Yeah. What's it a metaphor for? What does it mean? And I don't think it works like that. Um, I, I, it's not symbolism. It doesn't mean it, it does, it acts, it, it causes you to have a reaction. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's the goal. I agreed. Non-existent. (laughs) And, and chevrons go apeshit. The floor (laughs) just, and dropped into stars and shit. It, It really does feel like negative space. Market Ben, we've got our episode title, Chevrons Go Ape Shit. Yep. Yeah, negative space. I like that. Um it's oh, it's it's weird. And mm-hmm. and that sense of the I mean it's so cartoony, right? The floor splitting and one leg on each side until he falls between them. It really is cartoony, and yet there's nothing humorous about that scene when you're watching it. It feels disturbing, especially when you have been promised twenty five years later, Coop is mm-hmm. getting out. You can go out now. Yes. I'm like, here he comes. Here he and he there is a bit he he pulls the curtain back and sees his oh, doppelganger right on the there. road, doesn't he? Right there, right there. Um, about to get real car sick in episode three. Uh, let's let's move towards there. But what do you think happened? Do do you have any interpretation of the events that happened? Yeah, I. It feels like the doppelganger, like so, the arms doppelganger, armelganger, the armelganger. Uh, Armelganger uh, feels far more malicious. Yes. Well, so is Coop's doppelganger. True. And I guess that's that's in line with kind of the like historical notion of a doppelganger. Yep. And so the doppelganger, I don't know, like if that was the moment where Cooper was going to leave, and so it's a way of trapping Cooper in negative space. Yes. Like that's. That's what it, it feels like, the Phantom Zone. Yep. And re- recall that Koopelganger said, I'm not going to go back. Yeah. And it didn't seem to be like, like, hell I am. You can't get me. It was right. much more like, oh, don't worry, I've got a plan. Mm. And so I'm going to put out there, what if the doppelgangers are in cahoots? And just let that Ooh. sit. Okay. Uh, I think that will help us with episode three when we get there. Uh, but for now, um, let's talk about your favorite character. Uh, I'm going to insist that that James is still cool. Tom, uh, he's always been cool. No, he's not. He's not <laughs> always been cool. God. He hangs out with a guy with a weird glove. How much cooler can you get than that? Uh, you can get a lot cooler. I'm it's, just. It's a weird glove. I'm going to write an essay about how cooler you can be. How much cooler you can be than James Hurley. He, All right. Anyway. So, but, so we're back to the, the Bang Bang Club. Yes. And uh, we see James is there. Uh, Shelly is there. Right? Yeah. That's right. Shelly is there. Um, and we apparently the Bang Bang Club is now a nice music venue. Or there were music there before, but now we've got some more recent acts. Which yeah. Which is nice. So, yeah. <laughs> um, it it's it feels like a very small like visitation nothing like nothing major plot wise or event wise occurs there's some looks exchanged or more just like okay these people are like they're in the thoughts as well like they're in this environment and they're in this spirit also and not for the last time we have a band playing at the bang bang club as the credits mm-hmm. roll 
and we we get some information as the credits roll, trying to find out what in the world just happened to us. Um, mm-hmm. But we uh, will be back in just a week. Uh, you can catch us here on the Overthink Pod with episode three of Twin Peaks: The Return. So thanks again for joining us. Uh, you can get a hold of us on Twitter, where our handle is at OverthinkPod. Find more at OverthinkPod.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Helm Street with one S. Uh, Dom, where can the people find you? I can find me on Twitter at Dominic underscore Lang and Instagram as well, Dominic Lang. All right. Well, not to sound too foreboding, but you can go out now.